0: This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics in research and research in human resources, sleeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh brewed ideas on how to drive high performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the Graduate Programs in Human Resource Development at Villanova University.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to HRT. I'm your host, Bethany Adams. I love HRT, but truth be told, I am a coffee drinker. This episode of HRT is part two of our three-part mini-series on diversity and inclusion. On the last episode, we discussed some of the research that's been done in this area already and some of the avenues for future research collaboration within organizations and our academic researchers. And on today's episode, I sat down with Christian Thoroughgood. Christian is a professor and my colleague here in the Graduate Human Resource Development Program at Villanova, and a large part of Christian's research focuses on diversity and inclusion issues related to the LGBTQ population, specifically in the areas of work-family conflict and allyship. And so I started by asking him to explain a little bit about his research in this area.
2: So my colleague Katina Sawyer, we were interested in basically trying to understand how work-family conflict, which is a concept that's been studied for roughly about 35 years now, of work and family being two separate domains that might kind of, in many ways, conflict with one another. And so there's been a ton of research that's looked at these sort of different concepts of work-family conflict. So time-based work-family conflict, where, you know, I don't have enough time at home because I'm devoting it more to work and vice versa. Also, what we refer to as strain-based conflict. So stress at home leads to stress at work, or work uh, stress leads to uh, stress at home. And also behavior-based conflict. So essentially, like, you know, the way I behave at work, if I'm like a police officer, I need to be you know, stern with, um, Uh, individuals at work, but then I, you know, come home, and I have a young child that I need to be very nurturing with that can create these sort of identity conflicts in terms of my behavior. So we were interested in basically identifying, you know, an additional layer of conflict that might be unique to families that are non-traditional. So if we think about, for example, lesbian, gay, and bisexual families, families that are maybe multiracial, families that have maybe one spouse that has some type of mental illness or a physical disability, essentially families that have some type of stigma associated with them. How might work family conflict maybe operate for those families? Because we understand it from a very non-traditional perspective currently. And so what we found in a study of about 50 lesbian, gay, and bisexual families was essentially this idea that you know oftentimes they felt like they couldn't ask for you know family benefits they felt like they couldn't bring their partners to work events they felt this sort of overarching tension related to mixing work and family and that tension is really captured in this idea of stigma based work family conflict that we're really uh, sort of trying to unpack in this particular study
1: wow well you know i think that in organizations we try often to support all our employees and we think that we're providing the right benefits to make those work family conflicts easier or less for our employees so i know that you have a new or newish hbr article that came out Mm -hmm. and actually the title of the article was how companies are making it harder for lesbian gay and bisexual employees to achieve this Mm -hmm. work-life balance so what is it that we're getting wrong
2: So certainly there's many organizations that have really strong underlying elements of prejudice and discrimination. A lot of our participants also noted that they really just felt invisible. It wasn't that their organizations or employers were trying to do them any harm. It was simply that they just didn't know that they were there and that they needed to support them with more kind of inclusive work family policies. So I think that really this surrounds the idea of culture and climate organizations really need to build in more inclusive environments that value families that are non-traditional in nature. And that may be, again, related to LGB families, but it may be related to a lot of alternative family structures
1: you learned that when work environments signaled to employees that their family type was Mm -hmm. less accepted Mm -hmm. compared to a more traditional family, that they were more likely to experience this sort of stigma-based family conflict. Mm -hmm. So what are those signals that we're sending? What are we doing to make them feel invisible so that we can change those behaviors in our Mm -hmm. organizations?
2: Yeah, so I think that it's a, a lot of social cues surrounding what is a valued family So I think that, you know, for a lot of our participants, they commented on the idea that, you know, when talking about issues of work and family, it was always the underlying assumption of that it's, you know, one man and one woman and and children. And so from their standpoint, they picked up on that idea that this is the organization's definition of family. And I'm not- And that's not their family. Right. And I'm not fitting into that. Um, So for example, they would have like these family days where you would bring in pictures of your family, like post those pictures on a wall. In sort of framing that whole activity, it was the idea of like, well, you know, um, bring in a picture of your wife, bring in a picture of, you mm-hmm. know, your your husband. And it was always talking about it in a very heterosexual way. So people felt like alienated in that regard. Again, getting back to this idea of what is your definition of, of family? So I think that organizations need to be more aware of just simply how do they frame um, right. Policies around work and family, because that sends social cues that are important.
1: I don't want to say that this is simple, but it almost sounds simple. Like, yeah. is it as simple as just, you know, bring pictures of your wife, your spouse, your partner, your loved ones, yeah. whoever they are, and having pictures of all different types of families represented mm-hmm. to make them feel more included in the conversation? Is it that simple?
2: I think that there's certainly simple elements to it, as as you're saying. I think that oftentimes, though, we think about these concepts as formal in nature, like we propose the policy, and then it's not followed up informally, right? So leaders still talk about these things in ways that reinforce the underlying stereotype. Mm. Yeah. So and at least a lot of our participants talked about that, like they felt like their organization was trying to foster inclusivity. But when it came down to interpersonal behaviors at the ground level, managers still talked about these things in very traditional ways.
1: So I know in um, your article, you talk about education being really important, right? Educating mm-hmm. the employees on just the different types of families um, mm-hmm. to promote a more inclusive work environment. Mm-hmm. So how do they do that? How do you start, where do you start with that education in an organization that's saying, you know what, we want to do this better yeah what do we do
2: yeah i mean i think that it really starts with obviously you know um selecting people that you know are more inclusive in in their perspectives on things i think that it also really starts with socialization and onboarding Mm. that's really where where culture sort of the rubber meets the road like you really want people to come in with some perspective of this is an organization that values diversity in so many different components and ways from the beginning yeah not we're trying to change this later right because then it becomes sort of of, like, you know, a band aid approach. Like, people may right. overlook it, especially if they view training programs. It's like, oh, I'm just doing this. Like, right. doing this new diversity and training program, but like, everyone this says, new just initiative have to do for it. this right. year. Right, yeah. right, right. So, I think it really starts from the beginning is, you know, giving people some sense of this is an environment where we really truly value these things and we view diversity and inclusion, you know, not simply as like a training program you go through, but something that is embedded deeply in the social fabric of the organization. Organization. Right. Because um,
1: if it's not a part of the culture, then it's really just yeah. a Band-Aid yeah. to fix things, to make right. us feel like we're right. doing something good. Right, right. Um, So I'm curious, I know that you and Dr. Sawyer have great research in this area and that you've always sort of focused on the LGBT population. I'm curious how you guys got into this Mm -hmm. sort of focus for your research and making this a focus for inclusion.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think that for both of us, we've always, we kind of bonded over this in graduate school because I think that both of us very strongly identified with being allies. Mm -hmm. And for both of us, we know people within the community, in my case, family members within the community, and so close family members. And so for me, um, I got into it because at least in my small little way, I can offer some impact. You know, we always communicate with our participants that, you know, even though we don't identify personally in that way, that we have, you know, research skills that we can tell those stories. And I think that you know, people really gravitate towards that because in our literature, I think there is a stigma towards doing this research in general in many of our mainstream organizational psychology journals. And Hopefully so,
1: that's changing.
2: It, it is, I think, to a certain degree, but there's a lot of complexities surrounding yeah. this type of work. So I think that with that being said, a lot of the community, whether we're talking about LGB employees or especially transgender individuals, which we do a lot of work on as well, um, and are very embedded in that community, is like they just want a voice, you know? They yeah. just want to be heard. They just want to and, be
1: themselves. Right, they just want to be themselves. Yeah.
2: And and you know, as I think- all of us do, yeah, yes. Yeah, and I think that that's really the sticking point, yeah. right, that the sticking point is authenticity, being able to be a real human being within your work setting. And if we can do that you know, and communicate that message through uh, the research. Unfortunately, in many cases, it isn't just as simple as saying, hey, this is a humanitarian issue. You should understand this, senior yeah. leaders. But here's the data that's showing this is really harming right. your organization. Yeah, It's um, so
1: sad when we have to take something that's a human issue yeah. and that should be how we treat human beings because yeah. they're human beings and drill it down to Boil a bottom line issue. Yeah. Hey, this will make you yeah. more money right. because right. people will feel supported right. in your organization. Right, organization. Right, oh, okay. Right. Now I'll do it for yeah. you. No, I, but, I agree. But to that mm-hmm. point, if we can make the business case, then we can get to where we want to get to. So. Absolutely. Okay, so tell us about what's coming in the future. What yeah. kind of work are you guys doing now? What research is yeah. you know forthcoming. Yeah.
2: This was a sort of the first stage of this particular program of research because it was a qualitative study. And so we actually now have four consecutive quantitative survey-based studies where we are comprising a sample of about across the four studies about 15 or 1600 wow. partnered lgb employees that's amazing and their partners
1: oh that's amazing And so
2: we're developing a scale that's a great. survey measure that will be used in the literature as this new, unique form of work-family conflict that can be studied within stigmatized families.
1: So important. So. You know, I for our listeners, I think that it's important to understand that work like that, that kind of research is really what drives home yeah. and creates some of the foundations for where we go with policies in our organizations yeah. later on in the future. You yeah. mentioned that this work has been being done for 35 years, but mm-hmm. we're just seeing... Some of yeah. it come and peak into our organizations more mainstream. Yeah. So it's really important because you guys really are laying the groundwork, yeah. laying the foundation for where it's going to go in the future and how we're going to be able to better support our employees.
2: Yeah, yeah. And some other work we're doing is with respect to allyship. So it's interesting because if you look at this literature, you know, when we're talking about prejudice and discrimination in organizations, unfortunately, it's it's very, and I understand it, it's very focused on how do organizations really harm employees who have stigmatized identities, Mm -hmm. whether those are visible or invisible identities. But we haven't really tried to understand, well, what do you do about that? Right. How do we we fix that? We know we do it. it. Right. How can we
1: stop and do something about it?
2: Yeah, and so policies and procedures and diversity training and all that, thats wonderful. But, you know, when we're talking about at the ground level, what do we do to improve things, allyship sort of comes into play. And so we're really interested right now, we're going to publish a study shortly on, is this idea of people being courageous allies, taking risks and standing up. And we find that. that that element of people who really take personal risks at work whether those be social or even career-related risks, that it sends really powerful social messages to members of that target identity group that inflate their sense of self-esteem at work, that improve their well-being, that improve their satisfaction and engagement on the job. So this is sort of the first step in thinking about, well, what is the positive side of all this that has actionable strategies and interventions that stem from it? Awesome. Um,
1: Well, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me. It's been awesome.
1: All right, that last study that Christian mentioned on courageous allyship will be published later this year. And I am so excited to hear some of those actionable strategies and interventions that can be implemented in organizations now. We all talk about creating more inclusive organizations. And courageous allyship is one of the ways that we are going to create that culture and, as Christian said, improve the well being and engagement on the job for our LGBTQ employees. All right everyone, this wraps up today's episode of HRT. Next week in the final episode of this diversity mini series, I will sit down with another villanova researcher and professor Heather Cluely. Heather's research takes a little bit of a different spin on the average conversation we are having around diversity and inclusion topics. We often think about diversity along the lines of race, gender, sexual orientation and religion, but as Quinetta mentioned on our first diversity episode, there are So many forms of diversity that can impact employees, teams, and organizations. And Heather's research explores different compositions of couples and how those couples think about decision-making related to their families and their career choices. And on the next episode, I will sit down with Heather to discuss some of the implications from her research for organizations as they think about how to better support employees throughout their career and in all different couple and family structures. All right, thanks everyone for listening. Remember, whatever you are drinking, tea, coffee, or something a little bit stronger, I hope it leads you to new ideas that will help make work better for all of us. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode steep, share with us what you are brewing using the hashtag HRT. That's hashtag HRTEA. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at VillanovaHRD.com.